Good morning, beautiful people. You are tuned in to Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and live streaming on KPOO.com. I am your host, Nube Brown, and I am just grateful that you are choosing to spend your time with me this morning. But really, we are spending time with each other, and I want to give a big shout out to KPOO for providing this one-hour platform for issues relating specifically to our caged community members, the families, loved ones that are attached to them, and those that have returned to us. To those of you behind the wall, we send our love and stand in solidarity with you. Know this platform is for you. Please feel free to have your family members and any of you, please reach out to me. You can reach me at nube at sfbayview.com. Yes, I have a new address. I am now working at the SF Bayview National Black Newspaper. With that said, I'd like to give a shout out to all of my comrades at the SF Bayview where I am now working and say hello to and welcome home to my now fiance Malik Washington who has been acting as assistant editor when he was behind the wall and now that he is free he is at the Bayview and um, under the tutelage of Mary Ratcliffe to become the editor. So again I welcome my loved one home. Also, go to the SF Bayview's website at sfbayview.com. You'll see Malik has been capturing uh, the voices of the community with videos, and you'll you'll find those there. Uh, read the archives of the SF Bayview. This is a just a fantastic newspaper that really has been capturing the issues of the communities. Um, not only in the Bayview Hunters Point area, you know, locally, but also throughout the nation and. Um, putting forth the voices of prisoners and their families as well. I also want to give a shout out to California Prison Focus. Go to the California Prison Focus website at www.prisons.org. There is just a wealth of information there about what is really taking place uh, behind the walls of the California California's prisons. Check out the calendar. You can find out what's happening with Liberate the Caged Voices on the blog page. Uh, read the past issues of Prison Focus newspaper. You can hear old. Um, you can hear the archives of uh, the radio pro- Prison Focus radio as well. And you can actually catch the the radio program wherever you get your podcasts. You just look up. Prison Focus Radio. So please go to the website, check out um, Cage Universal YouTube page and see what Minister King is doing. There's just some really great things happening over there at California Prison Focus. Lastly, as an abolitionist, I would be remiss if I did not read the exception clause to the 13th Amendment because I seek to abolish prisons because a new iteration of slavery is taking place within them. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Except as a punishment for crime. Let's let that sink in. All right, people, we're going to start a little bit heavy here with... um, a segment of a democracy now that took place on September 22nd. So this is just one week ago. This is um, on a new documentary called Belly of the Beast, Survivors of Forced Sterilizations in California's Prisons Fight 
for justice. We also must reconcile with the fact that we do not hear enough about what is happening with the women behind the walls, nor do we take into account um, the police brutality against black, brown, poor women, trans, LGBTQ people uh, that is taking place. It is important that we make space to hear their voices as well. The horrific exposure of forced hysterectomies at an ICE jail in Georgia has forced a reckoning with the U.S.'s long history of sterilizations, particularly of black, brown, poor, and disabled people, and the way this procedure has continued in jails and prisons to the present day. We'll go now to California, where a new documentary is bringing one of these disturbing stories to light. In 2001, Kelly Dillon was sterilized at the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla. The mother of two in her early 20s was told she was going into surgery for ovarian cysts. She later learned she'd been given a hysterectomy. Dylan was not alone. According to a report from Reveal, the Center for Investigative Reporting, between 2006 and 10, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation sterilized nearly 150 women without required state approval. Prison staff reportedly targeted and coerced women who they thought were likely to return to prison. Up to 100 more may have undergone the same treatment as far back as 1997. The revelations were a chilling reminder of the 20th century eugenics program in which 32 states, including California, forcibly sterilized people, many poor, disabled, and people of color for decades. In 2006, Kelly Dillon became the first survivor of sterilization abuse to sue the California Department of Corrections for damages. Belly of the Beast tells her story and chronicles her fight to hold the state of California accountable. This is the film's trailer. There is a culture of secrecy in California. I have some fear. What kind of repercussions will I get for coming on and talking about this? I've always been a fighter, but it wasn't truly until in prison. He did a pelvic exam. He said I had a fibroid. I was told that I had cancer cells. When I came out, I felt like something was wrong. We were getting hundreds of letters about medical abuses every month. It was for some doctor told you that you may be missing your ovaries. No one ever told me that. I have been intentionally sterilized, and I have been lied to. The law prohibits sterilizing people in prison for the purpose of birth control, but they were doing it anyway. One of the challenges with this story is you ultimately have to get to intent. And then that's when the doctor said, well, that's cheaper than welfare. I was looking at these documents that was confirming as a black woman, my life wasn't Surgeries, but we don't actually know who they did them on. That means 
give them numbers. You don't get names. And that's what makes it easy to abuse them. Women in California being coercively sterilized is absolutely revolting. After all this pain, I'll never be the same. We have yet to get an apology. We have yet to be acknowledged. The state has to be made accountable. Cause some wounds never heal. Do you see what you've done? the trailer for Belly of the Beast. We're joined now by Kelly Dillon herself, whose fight against the California Department of Corrections is the subject of Belly of the Beast, also the founder of community empowerment organization Back to Basics in Los Angeles. And in Salt Lake City, Utah, we're joined by the film's director, Erica Cohn. We welcome you both to Democracy Now! Well, Kelly, let's begin with you. Go back to 2006. Again, you became the first... Um, survivor of sterilization abuse to sue the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation for damages. In 2014, California banned coerced sterilizations, um, and uh, many people say it's largely because of what you started in 2006. Take us back to when you were imprisoned and what happened to you. Um, as I'm sitting here listening to um, the stories that Don Wooten is expressing about some of the deten detainees in the ICE facility, those stories ring so parallel to my story of what was happening. Um, I was 19 years old when I was first sent to prison. And at the age of 23, um, I had some, some regular, you know, um, I will say female issues that I was seeking out, you know, the doctor for. And then I was told that I had an abnormal pap smear and that I would need a cone biopsy um, to check that out. And so I agreed to it. And um, we discussed cancer, me and the doctor, we discussed that if they found cancer, would I want a hysterectomy? I was young at the time, very much uneducated, didn't really know the procedures or any other medical options. And I was scared of cancer like most of us are. And I said, okay, yes, if you find cancer, then um, you can perform the hysterectomy. But when he went in to do the cone biopsy and to also um, remove what they say possibly was some cysts, he um, intentionally um, cut off the blood supply to my ovaries and then began to perform what was a sterilization on me. And uh, Kelly, when, how soon afterwards did you realize that something was wrong with what they had done to you? And and could you tell us about what it was like to trace back uh, the the sequence of events of the of what they had done to you? Yes. So you know, I tell people that you know spiritually, we we you know, of course, we feel connected to certain things. And immediately coming out of the surgery, I just felt like, okay, number one, I was scared if I had cancer, but then I just felt different. Just in in the days of recovery, it just felt like something wasn't right. But I didn't pay it any attention. I just thought maybe it was just my nerves. And when the doctor came in and told me that he didn't find any cancer, didn't tell me anything else. Um, you know, I, I was relieved. But then several months after that, I began to experience menopausal symptoms at the age of 24. I had hot flashes, um, heart, 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 heart palpitations, and just different things that was happening to me. And I said, no, something has to be going on. And when I began to question or write 
um, the staff and the the prison to see well what happened to me to get some answers as to what happened in surgery, they began to start giving me the runaround. So actually, it it, it took with the help of an agency called Justice Now and a um, social activist um, attorney by the name of Cynthia Chandler, who's also in the film, it was it took us about a year or so for us to get my medical records to actually fight to to write to to almost sue them just for the medical records and when i finally got them she was the one who told me as she read through the medical records that i had been intentionally sterilized and that's something that i you know that people need to know is that we don't have access to those that medical information and it's withheld even though it's to to everyone else it just may seem like a privilege to ask for a copy of a procedure that happened to you but for us we are withheld that information and if we begin to press as you guys discussed in the ice detention center we are reprimanded and also sometimes put in lockdown or or you know different situations we're punished to go after those medical records yeah, and in terms of the, uh, uh, why did you finally decide to come forward and and uh, talk about your experience? Yes, um, it, it took it took a lot of nerve for me to even um, first sue them for what had happened while still incarcerated. I had I had received a lot of different threats from the medical staff, the chief medical officer, as well as some of the um, correctioner officers that was in there about the repercussions that I would face if I continue on in my lawsuit. Um, but the question is like, what would you do if you found out that something like this would happen to you? And I just felt like I could not allow CDC to continue on, but the real press of me wanting to seek justice had a lot to do with the fact that I had begun to see other women that was around my age, around childbearing age, uh, between any of, like maybe 24 to 35 years of age, coming back with all of these hysterectomies. And even though we didn't say that they were the uterus collector, like they're that like that doctor is coined in um, in Georgia, but I begin to see that well, what is happening that mostly African American women or women of color are needed come in very healthy, strong, child bearing women, and then all of a sudden we need all of these hysterectomies, and so for that the fight not the fight wasn't just for me. The fight was also for my sisters that I had saw that had been wronged as well. It's just that I had the privilege of having um, a, a actual legal team to assist me in the journey. I want to go to another clip from the new documentary, Belly of the Beast. You gave me a hysterectomy for severe cramps. I did a pelvic exam. He gave me some kind of test and said I had some uh, fibroid. I was told that I had cancer cells. They told me that I had to have my ovaries removed. I had no choice. We actually used to call them the surgeries of the month because they were happening so frequently. So many people were getting hysterectomies. That was a cure-all. That's what it was. So that's a clip from Belly of the Beast, and we want to bring in the film's director, Erica Cohn. Erica, through your research, you determined that between 1997 and 2013, 
Over 1,400 sterilizations were performed. Can you talk about the shocking figure and the work you did, the years you spent on this documentary? Thank you so much for having me. We calculated that between California state audit and prison records that nearly, as you mentioned, 1,400 sterilization procedures occurred between 1997 and 2013. And since 2014, since a bill was passed in California rendering sterilization for the purpose of birth control illegal, which I think it's important to know it was already illegal according to state, federal, and international law, um, California is required to report the number of sterilization procedures performed each year and prove medical necessity around each procedure. And, you know, one of the ways that California was able to find a loophole around these procedures previously was because they were able to classify them as medically necessary. When we know in many instances, these procedures actually were not medically necessary. And so I believe that accountability, holding our institutions accountable, um, is the only way that we can prevent future abuses like these from happening. And Erica Cohen, of course, these are, these situations happening uh, in the last 20 years, there's an, actually a much longer history of this. For, for instance, it's, uh, it's been well documented that in, in Puerto Rico in the 19, late 1940s and 1950s, there was a systemic sterilization of, of women of childbearing age. Estimates about one-third of all uh, women of childbearing age in Puerto Rico were sterilized during that period, again, as a family planning or birth control uh, system without any kind of, of, uh, of explanation to the women of what was actually happening. Informed consent didn't come until the 1970s or 80s as a, as a requirement. So this, there's been a long history in this country of this, of this type of oppression of women, hasn't there? Absolutely, yes. Forced sterilization is genocide. And the legacy of forced sterilization in the United States is deeply rooted in white supremacy. And my actual connection to the story comes from that eugenics history. You know, I was first introduced to Cynthia Chandler in uh, 2010, the attorney who's featured in the film through a mutual friend. And I was really inspired by her work um, at Justice Now, uh, specifically the Let Our Families Have a Future campaign, which really exposed the multiple ways that uh, prisons destroy the basic human right to family. One of the most heinous being the illegal sterilizations primarily targeting women of color. And as a Jewish woman who grew up in Salt Lake City 25 years ago, the phrase never again was always profoundly in the back of my mind. And when I learned there was a different kind of genocide happening through imprisonment, through forced sterilization behind bars, I knew that I wanted to get involved. And initially it was by becoming a volunteer with, with Justice Now and later becoming a volunteer legal advocate working with over 150 people who were incarcerated in California's women's prisons. And as you see in the film, and as you're talking about, that history of eugenics in the United States is not something that we talk about a lot. When we hear the word eugenics, we think of Nazi Germany, we think of the Holocaust, but actually what we don't talk about is the founding of the eugenics movement in the United States and actually how Nazi Germany came to California to learn from our eugenics leaders to take our policies and practices back. We're so gonna, historic 
We're going to leave it there, but do part two and have a continued conversation with you. I do want to give Kelly the last word. You have 10 seconds. What would justice look like for you? So right now we have a uh, petition that's on um, www.bellyofthebeastfilm.org. I mean, .com, excuse me. And what we're trying to do is seek compensation in order to um, all the survivors to not only be identified, but to be notified, because there, there's a lot of hidden victims. And so we're looking for compensation for not only the survivors, but for, um, for the ones that are unknown as well. Kelly Dillon, thanks so much for being with us as well. Thank you to Erica Cohen, director of Belly of the Beast. All right, we are going to take a musical break, but before we do, I do want you again to take a breath and uh, recognize the incredible courage it takes for people to speak out. But we also really need to be listening to uh, the, the, the people that these atrocities are happening to. We are talking about what is taking place inside of our prisons here in California. This is what is happening on our watch. This is what's happening with our tax dollars, uh, our, our dollars that are being very hard earned or not earned at all. This is an assault on our humanity and the dignity of our fellow human beings and thus an assault on us. And we should not accept being retaliated against or repressed for speaking out.
hostilities. It is probably one of the most powerful documents of the past 25 years, maybe even 50 years, in terms of prisoner solidarity. The anniversary for the implementation of the the tenets of this agreement um, is October 10th, when across racial and geographical lines, the principal thinkers of the Pelican Bay Short Corridor, they came together in an unprecedented and powerful act of solidarity to stop uh, CDCR's abusive and deadly use of indefinite solitary confinement and end the torture of decades of solitary confinement. Agreement to End Hostilities. It's written August 12, 2012. To whom it may concern and all California prisoners. Greetings from the entire PBSP SHU, Short Corridor Hunger Strike Representatives. We are hereby presenting this mutual agreement on behalf of all racial groups here in the PBSP SHU Corridor, wherein we have arrived at a mutual agreement concerning the following points. If we really want to bring about substantive meaningful changes to the CDCR system in a manner beneficial to all solid individuals who have never been broken by CDCR's torture tactics intended to coerce one to become a state informant via debriefing, that now is the time for us to collectively seize this moment in time and put an end to more than 20 to 30 years of hostilities between our racial groups. Therefore, beginning on October 10th, 2012, all hostilities between our racial groups in SHU, ADSEG, general population, and county jails will officially cease. This means that from this date on, all racial group hostilities need to be at an end. And if personal issues arise between individuals, people need to do all they can to exhaust all diplomatic means to settle such disputes. Do not allow personal individual issues to escalate into racial group issues. We also want to warn those in the general population that IGI will continue to plant undercover sensitive need yard debriefer, quote, inmates amongst the solid GP prisoners with orders from IGI to be informers, snitches, rats, and obstructionists in order to attempt to disrupt and undermine our collective group's mutual understanding on issues intended for our mutual causes, i.e., forcing CDCR to open up all GP mainlines and return to a rehabilitative-type system of meaningful programs slash privileges, including life or conjugal visits, etc., via peaceful protest activity, non-cooperation, such as hunger strike, no labor, etc., etc. People need to be aware and vigilant to such tactics and refuse to allow such IGI inmate snitches to create chaos and reignite hostilities amongst our racial groups. We can no longer play into IGI, ISU, OCS, and SSU's old manipulative divide and conquer tactics. In conclusion... We must all hold strong to our mutual agreement from this point on and focus our time, attention, and energy on mutual causes beneficial to all of us, i.e. prisoners, 
and our best interests. We can no longer allow CDCR to use us against each other for their benefit because the reality is that collectively we are an empowered mighty force that can positively change this entire corrupt system into a system that actually benefits prisoners and thereby the public as a whole. And we simply cannot allow CDCR slash the CCPOA Prison Guards Union, IGI, ISU, OCS, and SSU to continue to get away with their constant form of progressive oppression and warehousing of tens of thousands of prisoners, including the 14,000 plus prisoners held in solitary confinement torture chambers, meaning the SHU ADSEC units, for decades. We send our love and respects to all of those of like mind and heart onward in struggle and solidarity. This is presented by the PBSP Shoe Short Corridor Collective, Todd Ashker, Arturo Castellanos, Sitawa Nantambu Jama'a, Antonio Guillen, and the representative's body, Danny Troxel, George Franco, Ronnie Yandel, Paul Red, James Baridi Williamson, Alfred Sandoval, Lu Louis Powell, Alex Yergoyen, Gabriel Huerta, Frank Clement, Raymond Chavo Perez, and James Mario Perez. Now, every single one of those men that came together, and there are others that actually are not listed here, but they came together and created this magnificent, powerful document, and only one is out. The rest of them are still languishing in prison or on uh, medical parole, like Satawa Nantambu Jama'a, but he is not out. This system continues to hold these men. It is only Paul Red who is out, and it is Raymond Chavo Perez who died while he was in prison. Take this document to heart because that is what we need to do out here in order to be the mighty force to make the changes that are necessary out here and in collaboration with those that are still fighting inside. All right, I'm gonna read some excerpts and information from a booklet that was written by Satawa Nantambu Jama'a, one of the principal thinkers and authors of The Agreement to End Hostilities. So you heard in The Agreement to End Hostilities uh, the IGI, the ISU, and the OCS. So the IGI is the Institutional Gang Investigators, the ISU is the Investigative Security Unit, and the OCS is the Office of Correctional Safety. These are their roles. The IGI deals with the investigative side of the allegations against prisoners, in which they do cell searches, harassing, intimidations, gathering of information on prisoners, manipulating and falsifying documents, holding interviews with informers, rats, snitches, and turncoats, and using them to fabricate lies in order to validate target subjects. IGI is subordinate to ISU. The ISU is responsible for targeting and identifying new Africans who are revolutionary, who are nationalist, conscious-minded, political, ideological theoreticians, and influential prisoners. These are the prisoners who have been removed off general population because of their politics and unwillingness to cooperate with the racism by officials, and also those prisoners who are judged by the COs to be intimidating to them. They are then targeted for shoe validation. The ISU gets all their intelligence from IGI, and then they target who, who should be removed off the general population. ISU is subordinate to OCS. 
OCS is responsible for overseeing and approving and disapproving all intelligence that is submitted by the IGI-ISU for prison gang validation for indeterminate, indeterminate shoe program. ISU must go through OCS in order to double-sell prisoners in indeterminate shoe for alleged prison gang membership association. Nothing behind these walls with indeterminate shoe prisoners can be done without going through OCS, which is the head intelligent unit intelligence unit for CDCR. I think this information is really important, especially for the younger people uh, that unfortunately uh, find themselves caged and captured by this prison industrial complex, slave complex. Um, and this is written by the elders. And I want uh, you to pay special attention to um, an upcoming uh, social media campaign that is going to be getting started uh, next week uh, by Liberate the Caged Voices because we will be uh, focusing specifically on these men that have been tortured by decades of solitary confinement and now also are uh, being uh, subjected to a civil death by uh, multiple parole denials. They really are political prisoners. Okay, and I will have a uh, PDF uh, copy uh, that will be placed onto the Liberate the Caged Voices blog page um, within the next few days here. All right, another piece that I want to read from here is the PBSP CDCR racist applications. So PBSP is Pelican Bay State Prison, CDCR is uh, California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Racism at the hands of correctional officials has devised policies where strategies and tactics on how to destroy the prisoners by instituting techniques of physical and psychological torture that play on the deprivation of the prisoners' five senses, touch, taste, sight, hearing, smell. We all are human beings, and as human beings, there are natural cultural behaviors in us all. We as prisoners naturally love our families and fellow human beings. So by CDCR instituting malicious anti-human policies through the system of institutionalized racism, most prisoners have literally lost all contact with their families, whereas prior to being placed in the short corridor torture chambers, many of us had strong ties with families. The prison's racist and biased policies have always been to break up prisoners' relationships, no matter the nature of them. Prisoners of, quote, hue are placed in prisons in isolated, predominantly white rural areas and subjected to all kinds of mistreatment by whites who would never allow us, people of hue, to live in these rural communities, but welcome us as long as it's in a prison. So to be subjected to torture under a racist system at the hands of a racist CDCR PSB PBSP officers should be no surprise, and since poor whites fall in the category of obsolete people, they too suffer under the system of institutionalized racism. In order to establish these supermax security housing units for the purpose of torture, there must be one, isolation, two, secrecy, and three, humans who are willing to carry the torture out, which is why these prisons are built in areas where narrow prejudice and racist-minded people exist. These prisons that torture prisoners are exclusively in white rural areas. In PBSP SHU, um, STCCTC, the majority of prisoners are 900 miles to 1,800 miles away from their homes, which means that if their family does not have the means to travel, then they are unable to make the trip. By the way, 
The majority of prisoners come from low-income homes, and they are considered by the overseers of the system of institutionalized racism to be the obsolete people. Therefore, cutting off their communications, visits, or any means of support from outside allows the prison to treat the prisoner as they see fit because there are no other eyes to see the suffering these prisoners suffer. Isolation sets the stage for torture, for PBSP SHU officials to do what they choose to SCTC prisoners. There has to be a certain level of secrecy for their actions, which constitutes conspiracy. There are guards who are willing participants as well as those who are witnesses of such torture, but neglect to stop it, in which they become part of the short corridor conspiracy. All right, excuse me, I failed to mention co-author Mutope Duguma of this very powerful, full of wisdom uh, booklet, The Evil Dehumanizing Practice Within the Short Corridor Torture Chamber. I will get a PDF of this uh, booklet up on the Liberate the Caged Voices blog page, ASAP. And I do want to mention, please look out for the Liberate the Caged Voices social media campaign to free our tortured elders. Uh, These are the ones that we are talking about. Uh, Men like Sutawa Nantambu Jama'a. Mutope Duguma, and others. So look for that. Uh, You will see that coming your way in your social media. All right, we've got some poetry from a newly returned community member. Uh, My name is LaVon Davis. I'm 63 years old. I did 28 years in prison, and I started writing poetry because so many things was on my mind that I found that it was a way to relieve my mind. Here's one that I like. Sitting on my bunk, marking time, trying to figure out my own mind. I prayed, preached, and meditated, just trying to convince myself it was not me I hated. 18 years in prison, some things I figured out. The way I lived out there, I must have had doubt. I slept with money, dope, and guns. Didn't want to live with no woman. That would spoil my fun. Banging, slanging, peeping game. Not always for money, sometimes material things. Like the night Marvin Gaye died. Like the night Marvin Gaye bit the sand. People came by trying to sell his baby grand. My mind flicks back to Rodney King. Technology showed the world how LAPD can be so mean. Who can fi- who can forget about OJ? I'm still trying to remember what he had to say. It's all a part of doing time. As I said on my mind, on my bunk, trying to relieve my mind. How about that? I'm going to turn the page on you. Here's one. Tired of writing home with no response. My name back there is just a hunt. The old neighborhood, I'm thinking, I'll stop writing. My people back there just ain't biting. The mama was alive. I'd write her once a week just to let her know my outlook was not so bleak. She'd write back sometime. Be the first to let me know if I push the line. When somebody died, my brother would send me an obituary or pictures of a funeral. But that was worse than that drug they call a butyrol. Gets you dizzy but not high. Makes you want to end this poem straight goodbye. All right. This next song is dedicated to Emily Moshakur, who will be coming up after the song talking about racist guards and his inspiration to resist.
These prison guards are just police in prisons. Unchecked racial violence, 
um, not being held accountable for any of their actions. And we need to keep our focus on them because while our people are enduring this and they are resisting and, and fighting back and being retaliated against for it, uh, we need to pay attention to the people that are, are perpetrating this, uh, this violence and harassment on our people. And that's the, these guards. This is CDCR. This is the secretary. There's going to be a new one coming in. And this is our governor. We'll continue with Emma Lima talking about how he's handling his situation there at Corcoran. So these two comrades, what, what I believe they're going to do is they're going to try to um, file charges. So they're going to push the 602 as far as they can. And if they can get into the courts and file charges, that still might not get them fired because of the union and the union being so big, but it will still do some damage to their to their their credibility and you know they won't be able to move up as sergeants and lieutenants they'll be it'll be documented that they're racist and that they've um assaulted a few inmates you know um it just looks bad you know and, and the more bad propaganda that you can get on them it, it kind of um it, it could result in in more um punitive damages you know what i mean if, mm-hmm. there's, if there's grounds for a lawsuit something like that. So, you know, right now, bringing that notice is, is, a, is a good thing. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Right. There's never a reason. Yeah, there's never a reason for mistreatment like that. You know, it, no. it was, I mean, it, it was unnecessary. You know, it's, it's, it's harassment. Um, they meant to, uh, we didn't do anything, you know, um, to, to warrant that type of uh, disrespect and, and that type of uh, behavior. You know, it was not like, you know, this has always been a, a racist environment from the onset. But when you continue to treat people with, with, you know, in that type of manner, there's no reason for it. You know, so we have to utilize whatever avenue we have to solve the problem. And it seems like the only relief we can get is in the courts. Okay, I then asked Imalima, what about the court of public opinion and what we can do out here to support the amazing um, and courageous work that they are doing in there? And I wanted you to hear from him. Well, just take note of it, bring note of it, and, and when you're around other community members out there, uh, let them know what's going on. Uh, you can always, you know, get the word out and deliberate the case voices when we do our phone interviews. You can put it in prison focus and just speak on what's going on. I like to I like to utilize the legal mail process because I know my mail won't get tampered with. But when right. you name drop some of these COs, they have a tendency to uh, try to monitor your mail. And right now mm-hmm. my mail is starting to come to me slow. So I don't know if uh, they found something because they know that um, a few people that have filed 602, they know that a few of us have filed those COVID hapis corpuses. Um, they also know that, you know, we're trying other angles as well to try to get out of here by writing the governor and talking about the COVID situation in prison and things of that nature. So when mail starts to come slow, we feel like mail could be getting tampered with. Um, we know when to use the phone and talk to our people and tell them about certain sensitive things because we have certain COs who don't, 
listen to the phone calls that we made, which we did follow 602 on that because that's like an invasion of people's privacy. And it's in the top 15 that they're not supposed to do that unless somebody's under investigation. So right now it's just a critical uh, and sensitive time based on those endeavors, you know, and we're hoping we can get it to stop. Like I said, if they get moved off this yard, it's not necessarily that they will stop being stop working in this institution because they might not. You know, they could just go to another yard or across the street to the other courtroom. You know, but um, overall, we would like to see them be reprimanded for that because you know that that is harassment and it's unnecessary. We didn't want any of that. You know, they're not treating no other nationalities like that. You're just us singling us out. You know, and, and that's right. where we starting to see that there's a problem. So just getting the word out the best that you can about what's going on to some of the to new African prisoners um, here in, in FCSP Corkman, you know, that's about the best you can do right now until uh, one of these 602s is able to go to court. If it's able to go to court, then that could change the, the uh, you know, that can change the game a little bit, depending on what kind of charges can be brought up. For the most part, I'm in my cell. Um, I don't really go to the yard unless I'm going back and forth to work. And I, I really rarely, I'm in the day room unless I got a phone call. But, and then if I get off work, I'll take a shower or something. But I'm in my cell because I'm trying to stay out of their way and uh, tired of having little run-ins that I've had with them. You know, they searched my cell a couple of days ago and took some stuff for nothing. So I'm following a 602 on that. Um, and it's just they move people around. Uh, for no apparent reason, it, it, as if to try to, like, sabotage our collective work. It, it, mm -hmm. It's only the ones who are activists in here that they target. You know, th those of us who've been in the shoe, uh, those of us who uh, will follow 602 and complain about the, the program and what's going on around here, those of us who are fighting for, for change. You know, they, we're the only ones that they target, it seems like. Yeah, and well, it's the same thing that's happening out here. I mean, that's why they're, yeah. that's why those racist guards are talking about Black Lives Matter. I mean, black resistance has always been met with, with violence and, uh, uh you know, opposition. Always. Since, right. since right. the slave uprising. Right. Yeah, yeah. We, we should be going forward. I mean, because harassment, in, in some ways, it's a good thing because, you know, you're being productive and, you're you're taking a stand and you're doing what you what you what you have to do, you know. And, and it's always good when they do arrest you because you know that you're doing something right. But you want to at least be at some type of level playing field to where they don't arrest you when you're you know your 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 thing is rolling, you know. And right now there's no reason to harass, you know. But that's what they're that's what they're deciding to do. So if you don't hear from me, it could be because I'm on lockdown, I'm in a hole or something like that. But you know, just I will keep keeping you abreast of what's going on, and uh, I'll try to call you again soon within the next couple of days if I can. But uh, let me I send my love. You and Malik take care. Uh, you guys take care out there in the community as a whole. Stay healthy, and I'll talk to you guys again soon. Okay, well, I, I hope that is the case, Emily Mo. I don't, I, I don't want you being thrown in the hole for... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. For doing great yeah. work. Okay, love to you too. Okay, All we right got now. you out here. Bye -bye. Okay. And now, our weekly episode of Prison Focus Mailbox. And those of us who identify as...
prison abolitionists as opposed to prison reformers uh, make the point uh, that oftentimes reforms uh, uh, create situations where um, mass incarceration becomes even more entrenched. And so, 
just to get some of that weight off me, I cut the push-ups out and just started doing burpees. Mm. And today, we did a real nice um, a six-count little burpee routine where feet on the yard, it's a track. And some some of the younger guys, they, they do a routine all the way around the track, a full circle. Well, me and bruh, we did, um, it was half the yard, half the um, And you know, you do, do a burpee, walk three paces, do another burpee, walk three, three paces. Mm-hmm. And we did that Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer. 